and we all appreciate it. If you have your Bibles today, find Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to begin by reading one verse, but Joshua chapter 10 and verse 14. We'll read this verse and then I'll give you some background for it. There has been, Joshua 10, 14, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heard the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. When we look at things that need to be done uh, in our in our church, uh, in our own personal lives, in our church we've got uh, parking lot repairs and outreach Sundays coming up, and children's ministry, children's building, money to be raised, spiritual warfare, personal sins. And in your lives, we've all got battles. Some are public, some are private. Uh, How, the question this morning is, how do we fight our battles? And I want to point out again this wonderful verse, a day when... There wasn't anything like it before or after. When the Lord heard the voice of a man and the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. So they had this big battle in chapter 10. The first thing though I'd like to point out is how that they got in this battle. I mean what, uh, what is the war they're fighting here all about? And in just the chapter before, Joshua chapter 9, they have some local Canaanites from Gibeon who come to them. Now remember that the children of Israel had the land of Canaan given to them. So they are supposed to dispossess all the nations in the land of Canaan. And actually, uh, there's a a fullness of judgment that has come on the Canaanites and they're to execute many of them. And so here, some Canaanites come and God specifically said, uh, don't enter into a relationship with them, kick them off the land, get rid of them. But these Gibeonites from Canaan, they come to Israel under the guise of a long journey. Uh, Joshua chapter 9 uh, and beginning in verse 12 the Gibeonites tell Joshua and the, and the Israelites they say here is our bread look at it it was warm when we took it from our houses but now it is dry and crumbly in other words we've been walking a long way and the bread has become moldy and coming apart Verse 14, 
Joshua 9, 14. So the men took some of their provisions, the men of Israel, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Mm. And verse 15 says, Joshua made peace with them and entered a covenant with them. That's exactly what God said not to do. They're Canaanites. Now, it is true they were deceived, but they didn't ask counsel from the Lord. He would have revealed some things to them. So that's why they're in this battle to begin with, because these Gibeonites have come. They got a guarantee of safety from Israel. Well, the surrounding kings, the Amorites, about five of them, I think, they all joined together in a coalition, and they came against Gibeon because they had betrayed them. So they come against Gibeon and Israel, and now Israel has to fight the battle because of a bad decision. A lot of our trouble we bring on ourselves because we do not seek the Lord's counsel. Somebody said, we're all just one step from stupid. (laughs) I heard that, I thought, I, I think I've been more like a journey in stupid before. Bad financial decisions, not asking counsel of God on a marriage. So many things in which we step into stupid. What about then? In the background of this verse in Joshua 10, 14, there's no day like this. Verse 14 says, Before or after when the Lord heard the voice of a man and fought for Israel. Two things very quick. One, you may have made bad decisions in the past, but number one, God will still hear your prayers. And number two, He will fight for you. In fact, you may be in for the biggest miracle that you've ever seen, even after a chapter 9 foolish decision. So they're in this battle with these five Amorite kings because they didn't pray about an issue. And then another thing, uh, notice how big the enemy was against them. In, In Joshua chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, it says, The five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, king of Lachish, king of Eglon, they gathered all their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon to make war against it. So they had, it was Israel against five kings and their armies. In fact, uh, I had a, is there, do we have the map? Just show you this real quick. But um, these are the five areas in which the five kings came from. And you see Israel is coming up to Gibeon to fight all five of them. It's, they come from all over the land of Canaan. 
And then notice also how big the victory turned out to be. Joshua 10, 14, that was our text. When God fought for them, there was no day like this. They absolutely obliterated them. It says, for example, if you look at chapter 10 and verse 9, that Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And verse 10, the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow. And verse 11 says, as they, as they fled before Israel, while they're going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. <laughs> I mean, I can just... Large stones, it's not just a little hailstone, but these are large stones. The word is used sometimes of a monument. And you can just see these, these cemetery grave monuments sized stones and God's just throwing them down throwing them down and he says that and as they fled the Lord threw down large stones from heaven and there were more who died because of the hailstones and the sons of Israel killed with the sword in other words God killed more than the whole army did but of course the biggest thing is as Joshua is running out of daylight, he's got them on the run, there's momentum, and then the sun starts to set. So now they're going to escape. And in verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when he gave the, the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son... Stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Stand still in Gibeon. And that's, that's just, whoa, that's off the charts. Do you know how much has to stop for the sun to quit its travel? For the moon to stand still? Now, there are people who've had uh, all kinds of theories, uh, and you find them on the Internet, and uh, <laughs> uh, I looked at some of them. Most of them have been debunked. Uh, for example, one of them says that the word uh, sun stands still means to cease. It's not like the sun stop, but sun cease. In other words, quit shining completely. Let an eclipse happen so it cools off and we can fight more effectively. That's not it, though. Because if you look, verse 13 says, The sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the nation took vengeance on their enemies. And is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not haste to set down for a whole day. In other words, it stopped setting. It ceased moving. Or the earth ceased moving. Or the whole universe and the galaxy stopped moving. I don't know. I don't know how this happened. Actually, I do know. Here's what it says. Verse 14, There's no day like it before or since when the Lord heard the voice of a man... 
Here's, how, here's what happened. The Lord fought for Israel. That's how it happened. Now, if the Lord fights for you, you don't need a big scientific explanation because you probably wouldn't get one anyway. But God fought. He threw down hailstones, large monument-sized stones. He made the sun stand still. There was no day like it. And it was right after Joshua's lack of prayer and lack of guidance. One man said this, He who upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, can miraculously manipulate a day on earth by the refraction of light, or he can create some sort of illumination on the earth for a longer period of time than normal daylight hours. What we, ought, what we really know is just this. God fought for Israel. So here is my point this morning. As you face your future, as our church faces our future, as we face issues, obstacles, battles, public and private how do we do it? How do we face it? And my, and my statement is, we must have the Lord to fight for us. That is God's word to you today. Now here's the question. How do I have the Lord fight for me? How can I get God to fight for me? And that's what I want to leave you with today. And I've got three points. Surprise, surprise. How the Lord, how to have God fight your battles like Joshua did. We know that it's not because you're worthy, Joshua, or because you've prayed about it enough. We know some things that are not true. It's not because you're greater, more skilled because the Israel was the smaller army here outnumbered five to one so how does the Lord fight our battles and I'll give you three things number one if you will fight the Lord's battles he will fight with you fight his battles And, I, and by that I mean, you know, stay away from family dramas and neighborhood squabbles. Legal wranglings. Much of which is not the Lord's battles, it's our own preferences. Some things just divest us of energy and resources and time which belong to God's battles. Now, they were fighting the Lord's battles because God had promised to give them the land of Canaan 40 years ago. But can you, pull, can you put Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 up for us? 
Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. This is an interesting statement from Moses. Well, I want to read it. Can you find it? Deuteronomy 2, 4 and 5. Command the people. You're about to pass through the territory of your kin, the people of Esau who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you. Be very careful. Deuteronomy 2, 5. Do not fight with them, for I will not give you any of their land, not so much as enough for the sole of your foot to step on. I have given Mount Seir to Esau and the Edomites as a possession. You see, he says, that belongs to the Edomites. Esau is the progenitor of the Edomites. So do not fight with them. You go into Canaan, there's where you fight. You fight the ones that I send you to fight, and I will throw down large stones on them, and I will stop the sun so you have enough time and energy. Some years ago, my neighbor, uh, I've always uh, had a working relationship with him, but I don't know, he's... Uh, he was always single, and uh, then he got older, and then he got married. And his wife is very meticulous with her yard. And for some reason, she started mowing over in my yard. I mean, like 10 feet into my yard. It was kind of annoying. And I was going to say, I thought, you know, well, maybe I'll just go over. I'll see her out there one day. And I'll say, hey, would, here's, here's the boundary line. Would you just kind of stay over? Because she would mow it too short. And then I'd mow my yard, and it would look real nice in my section. And then you'd have this burnt place 10 feet wide all the way up my yard. So I decided I'd go over and beat her up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just going to say something nice. And I thought, do I really want to get involved in that? If the girl wants to mow my yard and I don't pay her, hey, mow at it. Mow the whole backyard. I don't care. It's just not a battle I want to fight. It's not the Lord's battle. We had a family years ago and... They were uh, very, the uh, word is uh, litigious, litigious. They would sue at the drop of a hat. So they'd go to the hospitals. Uh, she was married to an older gentleman, and he'd go into the hospital, and she would inevitably find something that was legal worthy, and she'd sue the hospital. And, I mean, she ended up with uh, tens of thousands of dollars. And... Uh, when it came time when he actually needed to go to the hospital, like his life was at stake, no hospital in this area would take him. She'd sued them all. <laughs> they had her own record. They knew. Okay, we know who you are. We have no doctors available at that price. 
And the thing that impressed me about it was that I remember they were always poor. When he died, they were living out of their van. It's just not the Lord's battles, man. I mean, there's some things right and wrong and uh, some things you can do, I think, about issues in life, but don't get too invested financially and emotionally in battles that are not the Lord's. Listen to what David said when he uh, fought Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine Goliath, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. (laughs) He is pretty confident. And I'll give the dead bodies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth knows there's a God in Israel. And this assembly will know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. That's what David says in 1 Samuel 17, 47. Why can he be so confident before Goliath? He says, the battle is the Lord's. The Lord will fight your battle when your battle is his battle. All right, so that's one thing. Here's here's the second one. What will cause God to fight for you is not only when you're fighting His battles, but also He will fight for you when you depend upon Him by prayer and faith. You depend upon Him by prayer and faith. It's not a time to whine or complain about how big the problem is or whose fault it is. It's not time to blame. You're depending on Him in prayer and faith. Joshua 10.12 says, before the sun stood still, he says, Joshua spoke to the Lord. Then he spoke to the sun. It is a praying to God and not a complaining to men. In Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14, when the children of Israel stood in front of the Red Sea, and that's a problem, can't get across. Well, there's mountains on each side. Pharaoh is now coming with his army. They're directly behind us. What to do? Here's what God said, or Moses said to the people. Exodus 14, 13. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand firm and see or watch the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you will never see again. For the Lord will fight for you, but you must only be silent. Just quieten down. Don't freak out. The Lord will fight for you. See, look to Him. This is the time of deliverance and resolution. In Joshua 23, 
when the end of the battle comes. He says, as for you, no man has been able to stand for, before you, Joshua 23, 9. To this day, one man of you will put to fight a, a flight a thousand. One person will put to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Don't look at how many is against you, or how big is your problem. It is the Lord your God. One of you is more than a thousand of them when the Lord fights for you. Think of that. Joshua 23, 9 and 10. So he fights for us when we depend upon him in prayer and faith. Not looking at ourselves, not looking in or blaming others, but looking to God. And then a third thing, he fights for us when we're willing to get out of our comfort zone. When we're willing to see, leave the harbor of safety. When Israel left Egypt, she was leaving her comfort zone. Everything was provided. They were slaves, but it was provided. Now they're going into the wilderness. Where is it going to come from? When David faced Goliath, it's a risk. But the Lord would fight for him. And Joshua fighting all these Amorite kings in one day. To serve God is to live with a degree of risk. It, it, there's just no way to do it without risk. When we came here, this was years ago, and... I, somebody said, now where are you all going? We came from Texas, and somebody said, now where are you all going? I said, we're going to Flint, Michigan. And they said, isn't that like one of the most violent cities in the world? I mean, in, the, in America? I said, yeah, I think it is. And by the way, it's changed. Now we're not one of, we are the number one most violent city, so it's better but we had two small children. And they said, aren't you concerned about your little girls? I said, well, I'm concerned about Patty. Elizabeth can take care of herself. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but we did feel like God had called us here. And when we got to the church, our Bristol Road location, there was not one single child, infant, or youth in the whole church. I brought the only youth group we had. And they grew. We started getting some new young people in. And I was very concerned about who they would marry, who my grandchildren would turn out to be. And I'm happy to say today that my three daughters have all married good, sweet, dedicated Christian young men. I baptized, amen. Nobody's happier 
I baptized all three of them. All three of them are godly, wise, committed Christians serving in the church. Uh, the only one I'm worried about is Nick. But uh, he, he'll be okay, I'm pretty sure. He's a little iffy. <laughs> no. But I thought, praise to God. It was risk, yes. But God did fight for me. He brought those three young men. And in Joshua 10, <clears throat> at the end of the battle, they capture the five Amorite kings and they bring them before Joshua. They put them into a cave till the battle's over and then they bring them out to Joshua. Now listen to Joshua 10, at the end of the battle, it's all over. The sun is now setting again. <laughs> and Joshua 10, verse 24. When they brought those kings out to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel, the chiefs men of war had gone with him, and says, Come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came, they put their feet on their necks as a sign of victory over their enemy. Verse 25. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed, but be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. This story is a story for God's people to remember. He will fight for you. He will do this to all your enemies and all of God's people. Joshua says, I want you to get this as a lesson. He will, the Lord will fight for you when you fight His battles. Depend on Him in prayer and faith. Get out of your comfort zone and go to war for Him. Move into that arena which is not safe unless He gives you that safety. He will do the same against all of God's people's enemies. With that, we go into the week. With that promise, we go into the fall of the year and the future. And that, I believe, is a personal promise to you as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you today for the fact that there is truly victory in Jesus. And we praise you for it and ask you to help us. Give us that wisdom. Give us forgiveness for not consulting you more. Grant us grace and mercy today. And help us, I pray, to go victoriously against your enemies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue and conclude our worship by our giving and tithe. Mm -hmm.